Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for the eighth episode of our podcast, Groundbreakers. On this podcast, we interview early stage founders and real estate investors to hear their stories of what let them to have success in their career on their journey from zero to one. I'm joined today by Luke Truitt, co-founder of BridgeSplit. BridgeSplit is a tokenization network and financial platform for esoteric assets on Solana. Thanks so much for joining us, Luke. Super excited to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Excited to, uh, to chat. Yeah. So, you know, we've known each other uh, over a year now, which is crazy. And, you know, I've heard your story offline. You've had an insane journey to, to get to where you're at today. So would love if you could share that. You know, what were you doing before Bridge Split? What's your career journey been like? Yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, kind of my first job uh, was as a quant, um, just doing, uh, you know, very standard market making stuff. Um, I really liked, you know, finance and, and uh, computers um, felt like a easy thing to do. Uh, but I actually got uh, startup pilled, I guess, um, very quickly into that job. Friends who had been working with college, leading the job to go work with since tech startup, which was a lot of fun, especially for the first six months or so. It got a little boring towards the end as as things got to, to uh, very intertwined with some bigger companies. Um, but had a lot of fun building the tech and, and getting to try, you know, understand the problems of the folks we were serving in the defense department. Ended up uh, selling it off to one of those bigger companies. Um, stayed there for a little bit, but um, at that point, I'd already kind of gotten excited about crypto more from a, a I guess like a, a theoretical perspective. Um, it just felt like you know when I was uh, quant and and in school and and whatnot, uh, the idea of like running these mini economic experiments, you know, that you can do in a couple days, even uh, just seeing how people react to incentives and whatnot, was really interesting. Um, you know, the idea of stateless money, et cetera, uh, ultimately got really excited about trying to build some of, you know, different decent protocols for using, you know, Uniswap and some of the earlier ones. Tried building several, especially ones that were kind of like more of a bridge between Web 2 type UX and Web 3, uh, you know, some of the new DeFi type things. We built a yield aggregator on Polygon, which was pretty cool. Kind of right after it launched, thought we'd be, oh, we're going to be the first First ones to do it. Uh, I think that Polygon didn't really get a ton of direct DeFi use uh, early on, um, and we had really no idea what we were doing from a marketing perspective. So, it was very fun to build, but didn't get a ton of usage. Um, and then did some tech stuff, so tracking transactions in DeFi and whatnot. Uh, but then ultimately got pretty pretty far down the Solana rabbit hole uh, early in 2021. Um, ended up uh, working with um, a couple of the existing projects that were kind of floating around um, at that time, uh, helping build just random things as, as contributors, trying to learn about as much as we could. Um, but ultimately, you know, a lot of the things that we were excited about kind of led us to start Bridge Split were things that we kind of discovered along the way, doing and then obviously just kind of having sort of a bigger view of what crypto could be and it's about what it was at the time and what it affected since. No, that's great. And you and I have spoken so many times about the crypto industry as we've seen the highs and lows of it. And I love that, you know, you were a contributor for a lot of projects before, you know, truly figuring out like, hey, here's a problem that a lot of people are experiencing and, you know, we should start Bridge Split to solve it. 
Um, we'll love to get your take on, you know, what was that fundamental problem you solved that ultimately led you to build BridgeSplit? Just because I think a lot of founders first build a solution and then are like, hey, is anyone experiencing this problem? And you took it the other way yeah. around. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of what we were excited about right off the bat was this idea that, you know, most of finance doesn't necessarily look as programmatic as DeFi did at the time and still does. And, and you know, there are some oracles for things and everything is, you know, kind of perfectly algorithmic and whatever else, which is great for like, you know, purely decentralized automated finance and whatnot. But being able to incorporate assets and use cases that are a little bit more, you know, difficult to, to um, predict kind of how things will work, it means you can't use kind of the out of the box things that folks were building at the time. And so, what we really wanted to do was focus on, you know, how can we apply all this really cool, you know, decent, you know, slash distributed financial rails that have been built over the last two years um, and apply that to some of these assets that are, you know, a little bit more resembling things that the greater, you know, economic world would, would look like. And so to us at first, that looked like, you know, things like, Order locked order book positions or LP positions or uh, NFTs or all kinds of different, you know, locked tokens for, for vesting periods and, and whatnot. And how you can say, Hey, okay, I know this doesn't have a perfect Oracle that's sitting, you know, in tennis or chain link or whatever that you can plug into your lending app. But what if we did, you know, something with, you know, maybe more of like a functionalization type for around that or like a little bit more of an esoteric lending view where you have. A little bit more risk that was taken on by the lender directly rather than being able to kind of be creative with like what DeFi could look like rather than just like hey DeFi is just you know these four primitives of you know like an AMM that's you know balance of two assets to determine a price and a lending pool that's just a ratio of borrowed to lent to determine a rate and whatever else you don't really get kind of to cover a ton of what the financial world needs um, you know if you if you limit yourself. And so that was kind of where we started with things. Uh, we built for a lot of, you know, we, we were excited about where it could go from a, you know, RWA. I know we're going to talk about that in a little, but, you know, all these off-chain things that you can do, there's a lot of really exciting stuff there. I think at the time, though, for us, everything that was exciting in crypto was very crypto-native and, and it was very, you know, degen-focused and whatever else. And so we were just trying to build for the people that were there um, at, at the time and, and are still here. And so we, we built a number of products that were focused on those use cases, built plugins to different, you know, apps that, that um, were popular at the time, um, and just really tried to build out, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, something that would work with more generic assets, um, and ideally get a plugin that folks can longer would be able to use to, to accept more generic collateral. Oh, that's, that's awesome. And I think the tie into real world assets is like a really good segue uh, to the next question. Um, so like we're both working in the real world asset space. You guys are focusing much more on loans and issuance, and we're more focused on the real estate piece of it. Um, but would love to get your take on just where you see the future of tokenized real world assets going. Um, I think my perception of it is really varied. And we've had conversation around like, is this the future? Is this not the future? Is there anything here? But I think you always you know, ground me and your vision for where the future is going, I think is very grand. So would love to hear like your take on RWAs. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, the most exciting view of the fun to share my, my opinions. And I mean, obviously those are the t- huge spectrum of, of different projects and things that are getting built. I think the thing that got me excited about it at first, or at least 
I learned about initially was some of these, you know, more travel credit focused platforms. I think the majority of them exciting because well, it's like an easy thing to at least set up. And at, at the time, you know, late 2020, early 2021, there was a ton of capital floating around. So a lot of the, uh, you know, the goldfinches, centrifuges of the world, pretty interesting to, to learn about. I think, you know, you have really like, uh, in my mind, two classes of like the props that you're, you're creating. One is more like for DeFi users, giving them access to financial products that are backed or used financial either yield or, or equity value from off-chain. So even kind of stuff that you're doing, right, with being able to give folks who have a ton of USDC the ability to buy into, um, uh, you know, uh, equity product that is only available in crypto. Uh, there's no house concept, right, that, that you can get similar exposure to directly in crypto. Um, so I think those are super interesting, right? That's like the credit stuff as well is, is how do you, you know, create a... Uh, a system for folks who are in crypto to get yield, you know, powered by stuff outside of crypto. Um, and then you have the inverse of that, I guess, which is like, you know, you use crypto as rails to power financial use cases that are already happening probably somewhere uh, off chain, or maybe they would be happening with off chain users. Um, but for one reason or another, transaction costs, um, you know, reledgering costs, or like all the different securitization costs, etc., aren't happening really off chain as much or are too expensive. Um, and you can undercut that using blockchain the rails for that. So maybe crypto is still one second or it's just the, you know, rails piece of it. But that would be things like, uh, you know, facilitating an exchange. But instead of the exchange being, uh, you know, a bunch of, you know, Bitcoin or whatever, it's tokenized stock from some other platform, right? I think on Solana, uh, Anatoly, one of his big things is he wants to be the, you know, replace them as that or whatever, be a stock exchange, right? And if you can actually, you know, legally represent those assets on chain and you can all you know, do this trading, maybe you can be cheaper than, you know, a, a normal exchange and, and all the other things that go with it. Then you get that, that has a ton of, you know, really interesting implications too. Can fintech start pulling out their backend? Banks start pulling out their backends um, and, and running them on crypto rails. Um, and I think that there's, you know, a ton of utility kind of in both cases. I think in the DeFi native one, you have like a clear problem of like, tons of capital that, that comes from, you know, Gito token launching and everybody gets $100,000 from an airdrop or something like where, where are they going to put that right in the meantime? Okay. Well, it's great if they have other safer, more, you know, in the moment investments that they can make with their USDC on Solana or wherever they're trading um, that have a private credit yield or real estate equity investment from. That's very cool. And I think that there was, you know, in the short term, especially, it's like a really clear market. I think the longer term, the really exciting thing is do you, you know, start trimming away and, and opening up new transaction opportunities that maybe weren't possible before, but can be possible due to reduced transaction costs in one way or another or, or more global liquidity or whatever it is um, that, that, you know, blockchain enables and having all of that. Can you enable financing for new types of businesses that maybe wouldn't have otherwise? Can you uh, let people, uh, you know, invest in uh, things that there was no chance they would have invested in? Home base equivalent is only serving people who don't touch USDC. Right? There's probably tons of different people that you turn to that, that you'd like to be able to service that maybe crypto is not the first language and, and would prefer to do it all as opposed to manage or, you know, Web2 Rails um, and you're, you're doing it on Web3 uh, to make it possible. And those are the kinds of things that I think if RWA has like a 
category becomes, you know, many trillions of dollars, like all these, you know, blog posts or whatever that bull, that bull post, uh, RWA say 2 trillion by 2030 or whatever. that's going to happen, it's got to come from things that are much more, you know, non-circular and aren't relying on capital from crypto going out. Cause if you're like capital from crypto going out, you're just going to push the stable coin markets out of reserve. I'm sure it's going to keep, you know, it's not going to grow at a rate that gets it to, you know, uh, tens of trillions of dollars, right? Tens of trillions of dollars comes from all these. And so I think that's the hard thing for the business. You know, we can talk about different things right now, but regulatory problems, uh, you know, you have all kinds of like, uh, you're just switching cost problems, perception problems. Um, and then of course, like, the majority of the people doing this stuff are startups, you know, less than 30 people and have very little resources to try to compete with a bank or whoever else is doing this. And so being creative, you know, about how you bootstrap that stuff or partner with banks or folks who are excited. You see it with like JP Morgan got, uh, you know, a new tokenization. There's a couple of things going on in Asia with some of the bigger banks, um, that are living tokenization projects that are much more about digital native. Coinbase just released something, you know, a week ago or earlier this week. That was, you know, the idea of, I think they're going to try to do native, digital native tokenization. So instead of copying and pasting some existing like equity or something on chain, they're going to initially issue the debt or whatever it is, you know, on base or, or something. And those are things that I think you really would, would make to dollars if you can find something, you know, enough people from around the world want access to that. That's awesome. You touched on a lot of different areas of real world assets, like where you see the future of crypto going, how the, the market will continuously grow. Uh, one piece I want to double click on, though, was the enablement of new financial assets. And so I, I know you've worked with Baxis in the past. For context, for everyone listening, Baxis is a company that's tokenizing whiskey um, and they sell it throughout the US, but even globally. And so would love for you to just share more about that, because that's a really cool use case that I think is uniquely enabled by crypto. And, there's, and this is probably where I see like RWA is really getting a lot of traction outside of treasuries and outside of bonds, at least in the short term. Yeah, I mean, I think I think, yeah, it, the Bexis example is a real fun one because everybody understands whiskey um, at some level. It's it's a so. Some maybe risky, but some at some point. And I think um, it's fun to see crypto apply to something like that. Um, and the box team is great. Basically, what they're doing today is is they've evolved, you know, bottles of rare whiskey. Your mom finds this under the couch uh, that your great great grandpa forgot from the Civil War, and that turns out to be actually worth like fifteen thousand dollars or something like that. Oh wow. So what should I do with it? Well, you don't want them to drink it, probably. So you can mail it to those guys and they'll take care of all the custody, security, insurance, etc. And then they'll mint a copycat, a digital clone. Whoever owns that digital clone, an NFT on Solana, is able to redeem for that bottle to be mailed to them if they so choose. Um, and in the meantime, they can keep it in their digital collection. And then most importantly, start trading it on the marketplace. They have a ton of, you know, licenses and whatnot that you need to hit the secondary market for, for all. And so ultimately, you know, able to offer a unique product, both license wise and then 
structurally that's impossible to integrate without, you know, all the infrastructure they put together. Crypto specifically for that part of it is a little bit less relevant. The part that's more relevant for is, hey, now we have this marketplace, how do you make that marketplace something that people globally with money that are looking to spend that money on different things and then own it and trust the ownership of it can can use. And it's a combination then of, you know, blockchain for the the digital provenance and then the, you know, physical provenance via vaulting. Um, and those are those two things together are really cool. There's a number of companies that do similar things for other assets, right? Watches and um, you know, we talked to some folks doing it for gold, doing it for like collector, like uranium, you name it. All this vaulting, a physical thing, hold on to it, mint the Comcat token, do something with it. Very cool. Um, specifically for whiskey, though, why it's exciting uh, and, and why we ended up um, working with them a bit more was there's a lot of more business-focused use cases with whiskey. Obviously, a very big industry outside of the rare collectible stuff. So while the the rare collectible bottle trading is great today, the longer-term opportunity that they see and, and that, that we've got next to with them is... There's tons of op- opacity with all of these different markets uh, for trading whiskey globally. And a lot of it happens in barrels. So not just your random bottle, but a lot of big cap. And so these things that are trading, they always trade via paper. They're actually just sitting in a warehouse all of the time. And that warehouse is government bonded, insured, et cetera. And so you have a lot of you know, trust in like the value of that thing that's sitting in there. And so if you have good pricing, which Baxis has tons of pricing data that, that's sort of proprietary for them. Uh, you can offer, you know, a lot more financial infrastructure for the folks who own those assets. And a lot of the times your traditional financial provider, banks, credit firms, um, et cetera, aren't going to be super excited about dealing with whiskey. One, because they don't understand it very well. So if they need to sell it for some reason, they don't know where they go. And two, it's just very distributed, right? These are fairly small businesses. There's only a few that are, you know, big public companies. Most of them are, you know, mom and pop shop distillery that's been around for 200 years. Um, and down the family. And so those types of people have very little, you know, awareness of access to financial markets in different ways. And uh, the people who are on the buy side of that also, they have a hard time. You're not going to go physically to Kentucky or to Ireland or to Japan to go meet all these people unless you have a lot more money behind you. And so the people who want to participate in, you know, six figures, seven figures, a lot of the time they're stuck to their local markets doing this in very small quantities. And so um, what we've been able to do with them is set up some distillery and broker financing programs where these people who have the assets sitting in warehouses, vaults, et cetera, but are you know operating a business behind it are able to tap into much lower cost cash flows than much higher limits than they would be able to from a bank or a credit fund because we have you know so much availability of data and then ultimately liquidity to, to purchase that collateral in, in the event of a, uh, uh, a default. That wouldn't be possible, right? In in a kind of more traditional market. Now, of course, you can say you copy paste all the stuff to normal finance and it works, whatever. But the problem is with with all the stuff that's not, you know, on blockchain rails, the the global nature of it, or the, and the ease of which you can trade these things once they're baked into this, and the ability to trust that both the financial and the titling layer kind of together makes a really a really prime you know use case for for why crypto can be really cool for this stuff and hopefully even stuff like real estate etc works for that later right but it's amount of work you've had to do and, and we've done some like you know more regulated you know uh structured products it makes it hard it, it slows it down a lot it makes it expensive but once you get it in there then it's like you know very cool and so finding the things that kind of already been taken care of our philosophy at the start was 
you know, start with the crypto native stuff because there's no need for any of the chain finance, legal stuff, regulatory stuff. Just do it. NFTs, you know, serum, order book accounts, whatever. That's easy to, to start with. And now it's like, okay, what things can we work with that have like some of those traits of like, you know, some provenance vaulted or whatever, where we can trust it, but it doesn't have all this regulatory crazy overhead and what, cause we've been burned several times. Regulatory stuff, wasted a lot of money and, and thinking about, um, cause there's not really a way around it here in, in, in the States, but, um, you know, I think it's, uh, it, it starts, I think eventually it will all be legal and possible in all kinds of ways. It's just like for a company that's building today, how do you, how you solve for that? And I think it's, you know, trying to start with, and you guys are doing it too, start with like the smallest example and thing that has the least number of things that can go wrong and build from there. And, you know, that's, I guess, how, how all this stuff goes. Yeah. Also hopeful that, uh, all of this stuff's legal in the future. And I think there's a lot of movements in the crypto community and outside and Coinbase being a big spearheader of it to, you know, make totally. us a better place for web three companies to launch and exist. Um, but I think you gave an amazing explanation of how Baxis works and how you guys are supporting them. That's a really, really cool use case. And I like the philosophy in which you even approach that problem of first focusing on digital native like tech and then slowly, you know, working your way out of it into the real world. Um, very curious to hear how you as a company like experiment and pivot. I think just from what we've had discussions offline, Luke, like it seems like your team is so fast at building and figuring out like, Hey, what's this problem? Let's see if we can solve it. Okay. That didn't work. Let's pivot into something else. And just seeing the amount of products you launched in a short time frame, I think it's pretty inspiring as like an outsider. We'll love for you to just like share some of that wisdom, um, with people listening. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. I think that that's a positive spin on it. I mean, obviously, if the first one had worked perfectly, we wouldn't have built all the later ones. But I think the thing, the thing that is hard, right, is like when you're trying to build a product or build for a problem that is, you know, at some level of presentness today versus where you see it going and, and here's what, what's actually there for you to solve for today. There's a lot of, you know, trial and error that you have to do to figure out how you can best like latch your, you know, little hiking boots into the the problem and building up a business around it. And I think, you know, there's obviously, a, you know, many, many quotes about it being, you know, the difference between being early or late is, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. Like every idea is a good idea at some point kind of thing. And so, you know, I think the thing about pivoting or, or rethinking ideas or being flexible, trying things out is like the you could be 100% right about where you're going with that from the start but if you're not building for something that's like you can capitalize on today it's just going to be impossible to build you know a real business around it and obviously there's some businesses they just build and they sit there do nothing for 5 years and then boom it's their time and they shine but i think all those businesses that look like overnight successes or whatever they've been pivoting trying out things whatever for that whole time leading up to it and of course at some point you know you capitalize on it and Building in this like RWA generally, you know, space is, it's like you don't know where the, the best use cases are going to end up, right? You think, you know, you, you can write them on a piece of paper and be really excited about it. But until you're actually like having people transact on the platform and, you know, getting feedback from people and whatnot, you don't know how much they, you know, they care about it and you can talk to people and whatever else. And so we've, we've kind of oscillated between like, okay, very crypto focused, right? Like, um, 
NFTs, for example. Let's build really good tech, right? Because it's going to be really hard for a JP Morgan or somebody to like build a really strong suite of products on Solana to start, right? So we believe, you know, that that's like the best place to start this. And then we iterate up from there. Well, it turns out all of those users don't give a rat's ass what you're doing, you know, 10% interest rate loan side. So like, that's not going to work. So let's oscillate way to the other side and just serve like completely normal users. And we actually built this product in, uh, within the end of last year, I guess it was supposed to go live in, in November, um, of last year. And obviously other things happened that made it start to launch in November uh, of last year. But the, uh, that was a very institutional lending focused product and all this really cool stuff for it. And ultimately, like we were really solving to warrant a lot of the other things that the you know, problems would cause um, launching the product. Um, and so, it, you know, ultimately, like, it's, uh, I, I don't know, and we maybe never built too much, right? We've been too fast, tried too many things, and, and it's like, we're just still on one thing. And that's always a you know, hard thing to figure out. It's like, man, you push through, hey, it's not really clear that this is working or not. Should we just keep trying? It'll eventually work. Or, you know, when you feel like, okay, we've learned what we've learned. How do we apply that to something new? Um, MVP to people, you know, the number of products we have launched is the number that we have launched. And that's just how it goes, right? Like people don't want to do that. And hopefully, you know, the, the long term is, you know, we're able to have all of this stuff there ready when our opportunity to become a, you know, $10 billion company is there. Like we're ready to capture that. Um, but you got to work for it. You got to be, you know, fighting to make the reality every day. And as a demographic, is really that we was like, you know, we can start with all the FTs and all that stuff. The only way you're going to get to a world in which all the others are possible and the Coinbase and JP Morgan in the world have already done it is you got to make it. We thought initially there's going to be a thousand companies that are doing all this stuff and we're going to provide the rails for them to do that. In reality, there's very few people even working on different tokenization projects of sorts. And so, Helping facilitate that, helping, you know, bring some of this stuff to the forefront for, for, you know, the folks who aren't paying as much attention to it is, is a part of it. And, you know, hopefully when, you know, those bigger folks are ready to, to participate, you know, we're going to be able to have a seat at the table, um, you know, and, and area to, to, for, you know, keep fighting for that. It, it, but that's the biggest fear with all this stuff really is, I mean, it's, it's, very aggressive world out there, right? Outside of crypto. And the more this NWA stuff that, that happens in crypto world, the more clear it is that it's safe and regulatorily, et cetera, you're going to lose any advantages that you have. So got to be moving quickly as you're going with, uh, with that stuff. There's always you know, want to do it too. I'm sure. For sure. Do you have a thesis on how you, like, I think the call out you made around you have to build out your own RWA piece is very clear. I think there's a few companies in the space that only do tokenization and haven't had the most success. And I think like both of us are effectively trying to bring industries to life, whether it's like bonds that you're working on or us with real estate and tying it, you know, on chain. Like, do you have a thesis around, you know, first, maybe it's treasuries and they're the ones that have showcased stable coins have really showcased PMF. Maybe the next angles like long tail financial assets such as whiskey and like Rolexes, watches like. Is is that where your head's at, or like do you see other areas? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, stablecoins obviously, primitive that is very easy to build on. It's very useful. 
as I mentioned, like all these things that let decent native users access chain yields or equity or whatever, like also has like a clear value to me and that like the capital city everyone wants. Like me as a very native crypto user, I would love to just manage my financial life to maybe not my fan wallet, but like, you know, a crypto wallet of some sort. Um, and, and that'd be, you know, awesome to, to have that kind of like my world living earn my treasury yield here i can you know stocks here i can do whatever at some point i'll probably need to pull um but as shown within treasuries being the easiest example primarily treasuries right because there's very little risk other than you know the executional risk of the protocol your money's not sitting in a protocol so it can't really get unless there's like an in-transit hack or something and, and then once you have invested in the thing there's not really a deep risk i guess but if you know and there's lots of interviews, right? So, like, you're ultimately, you know, getting the very baseline zero risk thing. Whereas all the other private credit opportunities, you're lending to who knows who and what the actual recourse you have is and the ability to get made whole and what. And it's not, you know, probably worth it considering other options. So, high liquidity, low risk makes a ton of sense, right? I'm excited about a lot of these use cases that are, you know, unlocking things that are really hard to do in normal finance. Ideally taking advantage of either the networks of, of like money network like or things that just, you know, programmatic money fixes. Um and so that's like all of these like loan waterfalls and um, you know, quick originations and, and whatnot. Um, you know, being able to liquidate collateral very easily, trade it. So that's like the whiskey example we just talked about. I think like that it to me right now feels like a really cool you know, next step for crypto, um, being able to, to fill a void of like, where does, because I think one of the things that is like super valid that other folks, you know, get excited is payments, for example, um, um, you know, countries that don't have this all paint and you go to the store and I think whole pay or whatever, and it works great. But, you know, maybe there's, uh, you know, a use case in either here or somewhere else where like a Venmo equivalent or something doesn't work super well. That makes a lot of sense. But I think in, United States specifically, and, and maybe a lot of Western countries, whatever, it doesn't make as much sense to, to be focused on payments. But the things that does make sense for are ones where, you know, the bigger financial institutions or traditional financial, you know, rails make it very hard, whether it's like a risk thing, or it's just a, you know, opportunity cost or a, uh, a transaction cost thing, all that is like, okay, great, like, like we can disrupt that um, and treat that as like the thing that some Western financial rails don't solve for. And like, so that's maybe the next phase i mean it's it's hard though so like there's reasons it's not done yet um but i mean it's uh it's it's definitely from like an idealistic perspective it's really cool yeah and i think you'll probably start seeing a lot of people experiment with this given all of the resurgence in crypto the last six weeks yeah so so i think it'll be really exciting to see new people tackling different parts of the problem Totally. And and probably leveraging your tech stack to help them do it, given you've already built out so much of the infra for it. So I think that's yeah, well, hopefully, hopefully an exciting I, catalyst for you. That's one of the things that I, you know, you learn quickly building crypto. Like you want to own the whole, stuff. you want to build everything yourself because you feel like you need to for some reason, like the small contracts are important or whatever. But ultimately, if you aim to build them, you have no idea if it's worth building in the first place. Like building out everything from scratch every time gets tiring. 
Um, and so we're, yeah, we're hopeful. Like there are a lot more people like that who want to come in and do this stuff, especially you said crypto's resurgence the last six weeks, especially Solana's resurgence the last six weeks has been very exciting. And so hopefully some of the folks who are trying this stuff, you know, maybe it's Ethereum or Avalanche or, um, stacks or something, right? Like giving them another, you know, angle to, to attack, uh, those markets by using, you know, rails that are maybe a little faster, cheaper, easier to abstract. Um, you know, like Solana is and, and hopefully see some of that, even if it's not brand, you know, net new people coming in, uh, but net new to Solana. Yeah. Um, so I guess to tie it back to, you know, you sharing your story earlier about how you pivoted a lot, um, crypto now and Solana specifically is having a big resurgence, but this year was, I think one of the hardest years as a founder building in crypto for a long time following FTX explosion. Um, it was a pretty bear, bear market. And so I would love to hear, you know, looking back like it, on, on your founder journey, any advice you'd share for like first time founders or advice you wish you'd give yourself? Yeah, I mean, well, obviously there's tons of those things you can't control, like the FTX thing. And, and you know, we, we probably could have uh, responded to some of them. I think, you know, we know there are definitely people who were worse, you know, than, than we were. It's, you know, you can't really plan to think. There's got to be able to, to move quickly. Um, the, uh, you know, for, for us specifically, like we really got into the world, like the 2021 was, you know, very frothy times and we were building for it was very short term because that's what we knew, knew what we um, and then that changes super quick after a few months of like, wait, people don't want to pay $40,000 for an NFT anymore. Like, how are we going to, you know, offer this other product that we were just building or whatever. Right. And you're like, you know, going to rethink a lot of the like, you know, fundamental things about what you're doing and being flexible with that and, and being the expansion of industry that moves this quickly, uh, where the things that you're building for aren't just like technical, like unlocks, like sure. Crypto is like a great technical unlock, but the big thing is the, the economics and gold is driving usage of all these products and gets people excited and, and the frothiness of one thing leads to everything. You know, gives an example of two billion dollars, three billion of how you created over two months and it's just absurd, right? And it what what is all that you flow into, right? Not people on, you know, uh in Japan buying that we never would have bought before, but basically people who swan you know a long time ago are going and Doing some other thing in default. You see that with all these new default things that can and Camino and whatever. They've all been building for a long time, but you take stuff like that, right? Solana price going up, uh, you know, Gito token launching, et cetera. Being able to adapt to that stuff and, and realize that you're not, you know, building just for the people today, but building for something longer term is, is important. I think not worrying about competitors, like, doesn't most of the time, if ever, until you're much. You know, further along, like who else is doing this stuff? If it's a big market, there's probably room for many people to do it. And if it's, you know, not a big market, then it really doesn't matter. Like, we're kind of resolved because you got to be quickly. And so I think, you know, being able to focus on yourself and what you're building and dating and all this stuff is, you know, big. We are there was always something launching that was doing something similar to what we were doing. We're like, no, like, they just front ran. 
it's going to be so hard for us to, you know, get people excited about this or whatever. And they're all doing different things. And we were trying to do too many things and whatever. <laughs> you know, it's, it's cool to, to, to look back and be like, we didn't even need to work. What I even think they were listening to anymore. It's not even relevant. And, you know, like you waste time and money and energy thinking about that stuff. But, um, when the world moves so quickly, you feel like, yeah, I think it's being able to relax and think about the bigger picture and longer term is very important. Um, and yeah, that's the last thing it would just be like, you know, how it's it, very hard, right? Like doing this stuff. And obviously some people, you know, maybe they really have a great idea or, or, you know, everything that's going to happen because they've done it before or whatever. And it's not as hard, but I think for everybody, it, it's, there's tons of like, you know, really exciting parts and tons of really, you know, sad parts. So you got to get pushed through it and you got to just really make sure you care about the things that are, you know, a little bit deeper than just like, you know, you want to, you know, do something cool or make some money or whatever. Like you, you got to believe in what you're doing. Otherwise it's going to be a pain in the ass to, to do it for you know, several years of, you know, not really getting those things. Um, and eventually, you know, even if it doesn't happen, like you can still look back on your time and be happy that you spent it that way. Right. And you're excited about what you were trying to do, even if it didn't work. And that's why, you know, I think it's, it's something like when you see in, and in, in, you see it from more spending a week in crypto and in this space specifically, and great that they're all doing it, but people just jump into it, you know, cause it's the cool thing to do, especially I'm sure when you were in, in college or whatever, like social network and some of those, like, you know, things are glorified starting companies and whatnot that exciting and so i think a lot of people were very you know continued you know, excited about doing what to do it and, and you know it's easy enough for that to be the only reason that you do this stuff and you know that's why a lot of these things have shut down in the last years it's not easy to do if you don't if you don't love it i love that call out i can't tell you how many founders i've had on the show where i'm like what's your biggest learning and they say it's really, really hard. <laughs> and I yeah, think it is. people underestimate how hard it is. Like you, you see the social network, that movie, and you're like, oh my gosh, it's a, a cakewalk. Like I'm going to crush this. And then, you know, you go in very optimistic. You find out it's actually really, really difficult. The world inherently wants you to fail just because like there's already established businesses. You're always taking away market share from someone. And so. Like inherently the world wants you to fail and you have to basically persevere and push through it as you called out. And, you know, both of us have written it out. You guys have been around longer and, you know, I think I've written it out longer, but I think we've both experienced some very painful moments um, to get to where we're at today. And I think that just makes you that much stronger moving forward. Um, so really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, no, I, and I mean, I think it's uh very much worth all the time and energy and mental anguish along the way. And just, you know, it's, it's cool being able to like, you know, control your own destiny and, and build something that you believe in. And, you know, no one else has done it before. And it's like, you know, how do you do this in a way that's unique and um, fully creates the value for people that, you know, long-term will be like, you know, if you build the system. Even just one guy who gets so excited about can help me. You know, it took a long time to make it, but I'm glad you're excited. And you know, it's one of the you know, every every gives her 
you're going to meet people that you can, you know, and get. So makes a lot more fun. Completely agree. That's definitely the most rewarding part of it. Um, so thanks so much for coming on the show, Luke. That's all the questions I had for you. Um, any closing remarks you want to share? Like if people want to learn more about Bridge Split or learn more about you, where should they go? Yeah, that for sure. I think just our website's probably best, bridgesplit.com. We'll, we're, we're fairly focused on, um, you know, on anytime anybody wants to reach out, I'm more happy to have a chat. Um, but appreciate you having, having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And for anyone listening, if you're building in the crypto space, thinking about tokenization of real world assets, please hit up Luke. Very, very approachable. Um, so yeah, thanks everyone for listening to the eighth episode of Groundbreakers. We drop episodes every Tuesday morning and we will continue to have awesome guests like Luke share their story. Thanks so much, Luke. Thanks a bunch.